up your dirt bags. Uh, my name is Luke Agabron, the co-host of the number one podcast in the world for dirt bags. Uh, here with my other co-host, Mr. Luke Payne. How are we doing, man? Mr. Agabron, cheers, brother. Doing great. As you and I were talking before, things are great in my world. How are things in your world? Things are going great, man. Um, I've really taken, I'd say, one step back and three steps forward. I've been doing a lot more podcasting. I've been a guest on a few really awesome podcasts and really just doing more of what I like to do. And in turn, our team is working better. You know, our clients are happier and all of this. So it's a uh, vibes are high. Things are going well and super excited for this episode. Um, I know we've got a few other things coming up. Uh, so this episode is airing on Friday. This, if you're listening to it on Friday, this upcoming Monday, We've got a massive Dirtbags University. If you've never been to one, it's a private webinar. Uh, you pay 20 bucks. You can find the link on our Dirtbags website. Uh, Luke, talk a little bit about what we're doing on Monday. The Dirtbags you, man. We are diving into how to bid. And the special guest is actually Trevor, our head estimator. So he is going to dive in through some of our sheets on previous bids that we've done and he's going to take you through the process of what he does to find true cost um and just you know all around basic estimating things and things he looks for and you know hopefully learn something from it so that'll be a really fun one yeah and it'll be so uh detailed that if if anyone listening was on the Dirtbags university with will Schuler, um it'll be somewhat similar to that where we're gonna sit listen and dive in to spreadsheets to numbers how to estimate, how to bid, and just like dive into how Western does it. And I think that's that's what we're really excited about is that, you know, we're kind of opening a lot of things up here. And that's why we keep these webinars private. And that's why we, um, you know, ask everyone to keep it private, to come get all the information they can learn, but also have a good time. I mean, we all have drinks. It's a Monday night, 7.30 Central. Uh, it, it's a good time. Absolutely. Looking forward. But without further ado, Luke, drum roll. Who do we have tonight? So gigantic guest. Uh, we've been waiting for this one. He's a hard man to get a hold of. Impossible. Mr. I've gone through, gone through three of his secretaries, uh, but we finally got the man, uh, the new 325 owner, Mr. Devin Boudreaux with Ruben Group. What's going on, man? What's going on, boys? How you doing? Yeah, Cheers, brother. Cheers. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for coming on. You and Thanks the Canadian accent down in Texas. We love it. You got it. Representing down here. Hell yeah, dude. Again, thanks for thanks for coming on and taking the time. Um, Luke and I have been talking about you for a while and obviously wanted to get you on. Um, you know, just kind of right off the bat, Luke, I'm sorry I'm jumping into it. But so your story, you came from Canada and you moved to Texas. Yeah, that's uh, that's how it is. I wow. started up in Canada. So was at three and a half. I was four years in in Canada and just decided that uh, the political landscape and the economy and everything there was not going anywhere good and mm -hmm. kind of just got sick of how things are going. Started spitballing with a couple of guys, you know, just it actually just started in the shop one day it was uh, in March. We got back from doing a 36 hour push of snow plowing and we get back in the shop and we're just kind of spitballing like, you know, we all like plowing snow for the first couple hours. And then after that, it's just like, man, this is brutal. You're not Power really making much money on it, you know, wearing shit out. And it's like, yeah, okay. We're, we're just joking around. It's like, we need to move somewhere like warm, get out of this winter crap, you know, all this stuff. And uh, it just started as a joke. We literally were just spitballing in the shop for an hour about it. And then kind of was like, well, shit, maybe we could do this. And I started looking into it, went down the rabbit hole. Ended up coming down to Dallas in June, check things out here, um, see what it was like. We talked to a few people and, you know, things are booming down here. Lots of work going on. So came down, checked it out. It's here like three, four days. And I was like, I'm sold. Let's go. I never seen so much construction in one place in my life. When I came down here in June, it was just nuts everywhere. Anywhere you looked, it was booming, equipment moving, dirt moving. And it just was a no brainer to me. So went through the whole process. Um, it's a pain in the ass, cost a lot of money um it was from the time we started talking about it it was probably a whole year from the time we got the harebrained idea to come down here till i was like fully good to go down here it was about a year process you could probably do it in a shorter time but there's just 
there's a lot of information out there and not all of it's like True. accurate. And then a lot of the lawyers aren't used to necessarily dealing with like the scope of work that we're doing. Like, so a lot of people that are going down, it's more like, you know, online businesses or tech businesses and stuff like that. Like moving an excavation company and like equipment and all that stuff as a whole other, just, just importing equipment and importing vehicles yeah. and stuff for the U S that's a process on its own. But like, I probably called to find a broker to bring stuff out. I probably called 20 different brokers, you know, and everyone's like, Oh, we do cars and trucks and stuff. And it's like, once I found the right people, it was a breeze, but like finding those people, like it, you know, endless phone calls to find the right people to get it set up. So it was a two month, like pull your hair out and beat your head against the wall process to find all the right people to make it happen. And then you know, go through it and pay the money and all that crap. But hundred percent worth it. It was uh, definitely awesome. My biggest thing was when I looked at moving, I'm like, if I'm moving, I'm going somewhere that's got a 12 month work year. Like, I hate it. The, you know, eight months where you're flat out making money, going hard, you know, and we weren't, I wasn't a big fan of snow removal and I never really got into it. You can make a shit ton of money doing snow. I know lots of guys that make a ton of money doing snow, but you got to be set up for it. It almost needs to be like, you know, not necessarily maybe your main focus, but you got to make it a top priority and be set up properly to do it. And that's not where my head was at. I, I don't like it enough to want to get into it. So winter for us was, you know, take on enough contracts and enough snow work to keep the guys paid and their hours. And that was really about it. Right. So you, it's a money losing operation. You're making money for eight months of the year. You're losing money for four months, you know, same thing year over year. It's just a pain, right? doesn't really add up. What, no. who did you talk to? When you went down there, were you like, I'm just going to look up a general contractor and be like, Hey, from Canada, thinking I'm moving down here pushing some dirt and laying some pipe. What do you think? Honestly, man, I, uh, <laughs> I literally picked up the phone, cold called some home builders, cold called a bunch of different development companies, uh, pool companies. Everyone was telling us all the realtors were like, man, like people are paying like a quarter million dollars to put a pool in, not quarter million dollars for the whole pool. Like, yeah, not you know, so yeah, everyone has, you know, here's numbers and they're like, oh, it's, it's crazy, right? So, you know, yeah, it's 40 grand to dig a pool. I'm like, I'm digging pools if that's the case, you know? So I called probably 30 pool companies, you know, got 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 the scope on all that. And it's like six, seven grand to dig a pool, which isn't bad money. It's good money, but yeah. we kind of, I just cold called a bunch of people and got into it and really kind of went down the rabbit hole. And, you know, every person that you called, every company that you talked to, didn't matter what, you know, whether it was going to be for like, housing houses or development and subdivisions or pools or whatever there was a lack you know for excavation in all these markets you know they're they're you know booking six seven eight months out for stuff and it's like okay there's definitely a market for it and then coming down here and just driving around and seeing the amount of equipment moving and stuff on an, is just on another scale it was it was mind-blowing but that's any busy city you know and when you look at canada as a country i think we got like I think they just hit 40 million people uh, for the whole country and Texas is 29 or 30 million people for the state. So yeah, the scale is just massive. Well, yeah. and not to mention the mass exodus out of, you know, California. And I think yeah. what was it in last year, what was it like 420,000 people moved from Texas, from California or something? Austin's or up. Moved there. Austin is up 16.9% uh growth and population in four years that's why that's primarily from california and, and and whatnot so and it just keeps growing it just keeps growing everywhere did you, you did you look at austin potentially moving there uh no because when i i left canada because of all the liberal political ideology yeah. crap and everyone you talk to in texas that's not from austin is like don't go to austin cool spot yeah full of liberals california's taking over man and i'm like i just came from that i'm not going to that again so yeah no yeah. move one place and not go back right yeah, yeah and like, then like how because it, it definitely sounds like the decision was obviously calculated when you're moving your company to a different country it has to be you know calculated but how much of it was just like the gamble of like i i'm gonna gamble on myself i know i can make this work uh, i know i can you know pound the pavement make these calls but I mean, you didn't really know a whole lot of people in Dallas. And so I think a lot of it was just like hitting the phone. Honestly, man, I've, uh, my entire life and business has been the same philosophy, bite off more than you can chew and chew like hell. And it's like, I, I don't know, like I've, I'm not the prime example of a person who makes like the most calculated decisions. Like I do my research and I'll go down the rabbit hole and, you know, look into stuff to a, to an extent, but at the end of the day, I'm not the kind of person that's going to be paralyzed by, you know, research and 
you know, go crazy with stuff. I'm more of the kind of person that's going to literally get an idea, do some good research in it, you know, to quantify what I'm thinking about doing. And then I'll just dive in feet first and figure it out when I get there. Right. It's every time I do something, I'm hundred percent betting on myself. You know, I'm extremely confident in my ability to figure shit out. And that's really, you know, it's a delusional self-confidence that I have in myself for things that I've never done before. And that's really kind of what it comes down to. And I've always kind of been that way. You know, when I started an excavation company, I had literally four hours of seat time in an excavator. Uh, that's yeah. it. You know, and, and that's, that's all it is. First time I ever dug up a sewer line, I didn't even know what it looked like. Never saw one before <laughs> in my life. You know, <laughs> buddy of mine's like, Hey, can you guys change out a sewer line? I'm like, sure. sure. I guess. Yeah. Called a couple. Yeah. How hard could it be? Yeah, I called a couple guys that I knew that were doing sewer and water. You know, I had a buddy of mine who I grew up with who did sewer and water. And I'm like, hey, like this is what's going on. Oh, yeah, it's easy, man. Don't worry about it. He's like, well, when are you doing it? I'm like, uh, they want to do it next week. Oh, shit, I'm off on Thursday. I'll come up and give you a hand. So he drove yeah. up two hours, you know, helped me out the first one. And then the first, you know, 10 that we did was a complete, you know, shit show and screw things up and do things sure. over again and whatever. But I, there's this, everyone's got this whole saying, you know, it's a fake it till you make it. But there's a caveat to that, you know. It's awesome. It's all fine and good to fake it till you make it, but you also have to be willing to put in the legwork to go out and figure out how to do it properly. Because if you just go out faking it and try to try to do it, but you don't do any research, you don't look into it, you don't call people, you don't learn about it, you're just going to end up screwing things up and screwing people over. So at the end of the day, you have to be willing to take risks and fake it till you make it in a sense, but you also have to be willing to put in the work to learn how to do things. And I mean, YouTube, Google, people like pick up the phone and call people it's it's there's nothing out there that you want to know how to do that someone hasn't done already that you can't just call and be like hey like how do you do this or research it you know you can find the answers you just have to be willing to look for them and i find a lot of guys are scared to get into things they don't know because they're scared to be vulnerable in a sense and and ask people questions or do the research and figure out how to do something Nothing you're ever going to do in life that you've never done before. You're going to be awesome at the first time you do it. You're going to suck at it, you know, but eventually you'll learn how to do it and you get better. And that's, that's what business is. Be, be, be okay. Sucking at things and then learn how to get better. Yeah. Really gotta, I know. You drop to, your ego. Sorry. Luke, yeah. But like in that whole thing that you just said, drop your ego as a new business owner and learn how to do it. Right. Right. Like you said, be vulnerable, make those calls. Yeah. Don't be scared to ask. Yeah. yeah and you know, like Luke was talking about earlier too, uh, you know, you, you have to over deliver and actually deliver on these projects because construction's a long game and it's, you know, life is long, they say. And so you can't just fake it, get one of these big projects, destroy it, and then you're never going to get anything again. So, you know, you, you have to still over deliver, you know, Devin, like you said, maybe a little bit of it right when you start out of like convincing people that you have the confidence to get the job done. Uh, but then you have to over deliver for that client. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, there's a couple things that you need to have a business, you know, and number one, you need a customer. So you have to have a customer, otherwise you don't have a business. And what you're doing for a customer, doesn't matter what it is, your business is, you're solving a problem. So find a problem, figure out how to solve that problem, find the person you're going to solve it for, who's your customer, and then learn how to sell that solution to a customer, you know, and then you can go really far and, you know, sell sell solutions to problems that people don't even know they have, you know, and that's kind of how I got started with, we did a lot of residential sewer lines, uh, a lot of replacements. So in Alberta, Canada and Edmonton, where we were at back in the fifties, every, all the houses and all the sewer systems were built with the Orangeburg non-corrode pipe. Some places down the States have that. It's a tar paper and asbestos pipe that they built. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was the first synthetic pipe that was ever invented, you know, before PVC and all that stuff. So they, it was, you know, the, the magic, solution because clay was super expensive after the war and stuff so they started putting these orange bird pipes in and then 10 years in or nine years in somebody realized like hey uh this stuff's got a 40-year lifespan and clay's got a 100-year lifespan um let's go back to clay so they went back to using clay but there was a 10-year period where every house built between 1950 and 1959 in alberta and edmonton had this tar paper non-corrode pipe and in the 80s the city realized that shit the city used to own the utility right to the foundation wall and it was their responsibility to maintain it up to that point. And then they realized, well, shit, we're going to have to change all these sewer lines. So they changed that to the property line. And at the time they were selling like an insurance policy for like 27 bucks you could buy and it would cover it, but nobody bought it. So fast forward to when I started, 
it was at that point, most of these lines were 67 years old and they're all starting to fail. So I got into the business, like the first super line was a buddy of mine who did camera inspections and, you know, got the first line, did it. And then it was literally uh, almost like a marketing thing of educating people, you know, explaining to people that you have a product that's failing, your sewer line is going to collapse. You need to change this out. You know, you need to replace it. There's insurances, there's different things about it, but that's really where I got in. I got really good at educating customers. And I, I realized, and I learned at a very early stage in business that customers and people in general want to buy from people they know and they trust. And if you think about like the beginning of capitalism, way back when, you know, you had a small town, general store, the bank, you know, the butcher, everything was there, but, you know, Jimmy owned the store and everybody in the town knew Jimmy and everybody trusted Jimmy. So they would buy from Jimmy, you know, nowadays you don't know Walmart, you know, you don't know these big companies, you don't know these people, but humans are preconditioned to want to do business with people they trust. Mm -hmm. And that's where being able to have somebody trust you makes it easier to sell them a product. So the easiest way to gain someone's trust is to educate them. You teach somebody something, you automatically are preconditioned them to want to trust you. And the thing that a lot of guys forget in our industry is you can establish trust by teaching people face-to-face one-on-one. So I meet you, we have a conversation, I go to your house because you have a problem, I show up, I educate you about what the product is. Okay, you have this Orangeburg pipe was put in 50 years ago, you know, the whole spiel about what it is. And I educate them on this that they knew nothing about. No one knows what a sewer line looks like because it's buried under the ground. They've never seen it. They're a homeowner. I educate that person face-to-face one-to-one. What I started doing was jumping on Instagram. And that's actually how I met Luke. This is following me on Instagram. So I jump on social media on Instagram and I would start doing videos every day. You know, we show up to a job site, jump on my phone. You know, I become the face of the company. I'm putting my face out there because people want to buy from people they trust. And if I just am a faceless company like Walmart, there's nobody to trust. So you got to put yourself out there and you have to become, or somebody has to become the face of your company in order to start building trust with customers. And that's what I started doing was literally every day we'd go to a job site, I'd jump on my phone, flip it around. Hey guys, what's going on? You know, we're on this job site today. This is what we're doing. Um, You know, we've got a sewer line that collapsed, uh, you know, to the point that I'd you know, flip the camera around, jump in the ditch, cut the pipe out, show them how it's collapsing, why it's failing. And you know, I'd do this every day for years. That's what I would do. Didn't matter what we were doing, whether we're putting a septic tank in or doing a sewer line or changing a catch basin. I have a couple thousand followers on Instagram right now. And at the time, you know, in Edmonton, I might've had two or 300 followers on Instagram when I started. And most of these people are like, they're not contractors or other people. Like they're just homeowners or people that stumbled across my profile and they start, looking at these videos and it's like, I would get so many messages from people being like, man, that's so cool. I never knew what that looked like. Now of those people messaging me, I'm not necessarily selling and doing business with those people, but I'm educating those people day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out. Every time I jump on there, I'm educating the people that are watching my videos. If I have 300 people watch that video, I might work for one of those 300 people, but those 300 people are going to learn to trust me because I'm educating them every day by jumping on social media and they're learning stuff that they know nothing about. You know, they're in tech or they're, you know, they work at a grocery store or a gas station and I'm teaching them about the dirt world or about sewer and water or utility work. I've now built trust with all these people. That person is at a house party and their friend just bought a new house and the sewer line's not working. Oh man, like check this guy on Instagram. He's always doing now that person who knows the other person and the other person trusts them automatically pass the trust that I've built with this person that I'd never met in my life onto their friend who I've never met in their life. And now their friend trusts me to change their sewer line, you know, and that's, that's the beauty of social media. And that's the, that's what the value of Instagram and Facebook and all this stuff is, is by being able to build trust with an audience that you've never met all over the place. And those people over time learn to trust you. And then those people refer you out. And then that trust is passed from this person to that person. And it's like a backdoor hack as to how you can reach more customers. And I mean, honestly, like in three years in Edmonton, we went from, you know, being a startup to doing nothing but utility work, sewer and water 
every friggin' day. And it was purely off a of referral and word of mouth, referral, word of mouth, referral. Word. We spent $0 on marketing for three years. And all it was, was I started with that and I just kept building on it incrementally from there. Fast forward to coming down here, you know, I jumped on a call. I actually ran into Luke randomly in an airport, but I met Luke through Instagram. You know, he saw one of our posts one day, started following us and then started watching my videos and we started chatting back and forth, you know, and I'm walking through the airport in Denver, I think it was randomly. And yeah. he happens to recognize the logo on my hat and comes up, strike up a conversation, you know, and it's just, I tell him the story about us moving down here and, you know, that that's how it all started. But I met Luke purely because of me putting my face out there and in a sense, marketing without really marketing. I'm marketing myself by educating people and I'm just educating anybody who wants to listen. And social media gives you a platform and a way to do that. You know, couple that with, you know, coming down here to a new place. Well, I hired Luke to come on and build our website and start doing Google ads and some marketing. You know, now you're blasting out your brand to way more people. And I've already got the platform built and the space and the procedure and the process done. Now he's getting more eyeballs to come to my social media page to see the videos I'm doing every day where I get to educate more people. The more people you educate, the more trust you build, the more customers are going to have. And it's just, it's, it's a snowball rolling down a hill, but the first step is to start, you know, and all of us can do a better job of it. You know, any, and it doesn't matter what your industry is or what your space is like shit. There's tons of things I don't know about that. It'd be cool to just jump on Instagram and see guys, you know, Hey, this is awesome. Right. And especially in our world, because there's, information out there but there's not a ton of information and there's a lot of guys that are starting to put youtube channels together and, and that but there's not a lot of guys that are doing youtube channels which are like actually teaching people how to do things and i think a lot of guys are in a sense scared to show people how they do what they do because they think they're going to eat their lunch you know and at the end of the day there is so much work out there and there's so many people out there and there's always going to be a market for the people that give the best quality product you know, you have to give exceptional customer service. You have to give an exception, give a person an exceptional product. You don't necessarily have to be the cheapest person in the world. You don't have to be the low bid. You just have to provide the most value. And there's always going to be a market for the person providing the most value. And it doesn't matter how many people you teach to do what you do. You're, you know, you can sit here today and teach 10 guys in your town how to do what you do, but you're already five years ahead of them, you know? they're never going to catch you as long as you keep doing what you're doing. And there's always going to be a market for you as you grow because it's just scaling. Right. But I feel like a lot of guys in our, especially in our space are scared to show how we do what we do. And that's the biggest, they're doing themselves the biggest disservice in the world because they could be building their brand that much faster and building their business that much faster by going out and doing that. Yeah. Um, that that whole that whole really segment good. was absolute gold. I mean, <laughs> that I'm definitely going to clip out the part where you talked about us as well. And I mean, I feel like there's so many parts too, where Luke and I talk about it all the time, like everything you're saying. Um, but one thing on the, uh, the social media part, like, I feel like you've coined that like daily update, like, Hey guys, we're out in Sherman, Texas today. And just like <laughs> giving everyone the update. And, uh, it's, it's funny enough. Cause right as we were recording, I got a guest question from James Stixma from Canadian Septic. And he literally said, should ask him what made him decide to be so much more active on a daily basis on his stories on Instagram. So I saw that as you were talking about it. And it, it's so true though, because you're, you know, you're building your personal brand, you're building that trust. Um, I always uh, speak about the, the big three, attract, educate, acquire. You have to attract somebody first like you mentioned, that's kind of what our job is, is to bring people in, educate. That's a big piece of what you do. And then you have to acquire them. You have to have enough trust to acquire that customer, to acquire that contract. And so the way you do it is, I think, very unique because like you said, there are tons of people that find all of this interesting that didn't even know it existed. Like, oh, I just flush my toilet. It goes wherever it goes. Or I turn the faucet on and the water comes out. But until they start seeing your content about, oh, this is like what his job is. This is how the water comes to my house. It, it is actually fascinating. And that's why I always tell people when they ask me, how do you start on social media? To your point, for one, you just have to get started. But I always tell them just to nerd out about what you're doing. You know what you're doing. You know how many cubic yards of dirt you're moving. You know what is going in the ground and why nerd out about it. Use, use it as your portfolio 
um, to teach somebody something, even if you don't think anyone cares, because somebody's going to see it, they're going to be interested, and you'll start to build that up. So the difference with you is, is that you understand that and you keep it consistent and you just keep rolling with it. And, you know, you're teaching people in the industry, you're teaching people just outside of the industry like me, and you're teaching people that have no idea what even goes on, uh, like with what you do. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like not 90% of the people that are going to see your content are not likely going to be a customer of you, but it's, it's just a numbers game, right? So the more, if, if one out of a hundred people that sees your content becomes your customer, then you just need to get more people seeing your content. You know, if you need a hundred customers a year, you need, you know, 10,000 people to see your content to get its conversion, its conversion rate. So you just have to be willing to go out there and start and, and put it out there. And that's all it is. And especially when you're starting up and you're new and you're fresh, you know, should I remember when I started, I had like 20 followers on Instagram and then it was a hundred, you know, and hit the thousand milestone and then 2000 milestone. And I've kind of tapered off at a couple thousand here. And I, I, the biggest thing that I've noticed is like to gain followers and traffic, especially on Instagram itself is I, I feel like posts really get you out there with hashtags and all that stuff. So I, one thing I need to do more of is posting, be posting more regularly. I find the more I post, the more people I, the more followers I attract between the posts and reels and whatnot to my Instagram page. And then those people become followers that watch my stories where the people that already follow me, see my stories daily. And that kind of grows over time as you, as you go. But it's just a matter of starting and you're going to start small with nobody. And it's going to take, you know, probably years to build that up. But if you don't start at some point, you're never going to have that, you know, and it, it's just what it is. You, you have to be willing to go out there and put it out there. And if you just keep putting out content, putting out content, it's going to naturally grow, you know, and then you don't have to use Instagram. You know, that's just a platform that I found that I use the easiest, you know, it could be LinkedIn, it could be Facebook, it could be, uh, TikTok, it could be whatever you want, right? You just have to be start, you got to put content out there and you got to be putting out content that's educational if you want to build trust with customers. And it can be on any platform anywhere at all, you know, but pick one or pick all of them, you know, and, and roll with it. Talk to Luke, you know, get him on board and have him start pulling your content from one and blasting out to all of it. You no, know? on the other one. The king yeah. is right. the comedian. That, that, that's enough pre-plugs for the podcast here. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, Devin, so... I've talked to, you know, many, we have a lot of Canadian dirtbags that listen and, you know, a lot of U.S. dirtbags, of course. Um, I think what a lot of them are interested in hearing, and I want to be careful when I ask this, but how easy and how difficult it was and it is to pick up and move your company that's successful to a new country. I mean, like, you know, to be honest, you make it sound easy and I want to be careful, like I said, as I ask that, but you said is a hundred percent worth it, but there may be somebody out there that's doing $600,000 a year in Canada. And they're like, okay, if Devin did it, I'm going to do it. And then they might get crushed in wherever they move. So can you talk a little bit more about that of just like that moving process? And cause I'll give a little bit more context that so you and I were talking on the phone the other day. Um, there's a lot of shit that went on and there's a lot going on. Uh, you even got married in Vegas and like, there's so many life <laughs> events, Hell so yeah. many life events happening, but you had to kind of swallow your pride, I guess, in a sense of saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to uproot this company that's working. That's going well in Canada, in Edmonton, move it to Austin or uh, to Dallas where I don't know anybody. And I'm just going to start from zero and I have to go back to knocking on doors, back to phone calls. So like, did that, did that hurt your pride at all? Or did you look at it as an opportunity of like, I'm going to show people that I can start from zero and build it back up again. Um, honestly, it was like, none of that stuff was really a consideration so much. Like I, I thought of it, but it wasn't really a consideration when I made the decision to make the move. When I came down here, and the first like month I'm down here and I'm back to on the phones and talking to people and you're starting to hunt for work again. And it's like, what did I do? <laughs> you yeah. know, like, you know, cause there is a, there is a bit of the ego and the pride part of that, that you definitely have to swallow for sure, because you are a hundred percent starting over from scratch, but you're not necessarily starting over from scratch because 
you have all these skills that you learn. So like it took me three years to build my company to the point where it was like a, you know, well-oiled machine for customers coming in, you know, the first year it's, you know, you're doing one or two jobs a week and then it's three or four. And then all of a sudden you need two crews. And, you know, it took that couple of years to scale to that point, but you learn a lot of skills along the way on how to do that. When you decide to start over again, you don't just forget all those skills. You still have those skills. So it's way faster to start, you know, you start a business, you're on, you're on step one, you uproot your business and you move to another place. Well, you're starting on step 10 because you have all these skills and maybe you have some equipment and you have some money behind you, you know, and all these things that help you do things quicker because you don't make the little stupid mistakes that you did in the beginning because you've already learned those lessons. So now you're just taking what you know and you're starting over with what you know, but you're not really starting at scratch again. You're starting up here. Now, is it easy? No, it, man, it, it's like, it's a hundred percent. Like think of it, you have to be willing to a hundred percent think back to your first year in business, the hustle that you put in the first year in business. And you have to be a hundred percent willing to go back to putting that hustle in, you know, the hundred hour plus weeks, the late nights doing quotes, the, you know, all the bullshit little stuff, you know, we went from doing, you know, where I wouldn't have to, when we left Canada, I didn't have to look for work. It came to us. When I came down here, I had to go back to looking for work. You know, that is a big pill to swallow for a lot of guys, you know, and that's, it was a pill to swallow for myself too, you know, and, and can I say it was easy? No, it, it's not easy and it's expensive and there's a lot of red tape and there's shit to go like bullshit and hoops to go through. If anybody wants to make the jump from Canada, hit me up on Instagram, shoot me a DM. I'll give you the whole like cheat sheet, you know, call this guy, do this, call this person, do that. Like it's a, now that I've done it, it's easy. You know, I can tell you, you know, yeah, do this, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But for me to go, I didn't have that. So I had to figure all that stuff out. And I made, you know, tons of phone calls, did lots of things that was like, I didn't need to do it. It was a waste of time. You know, I could have now knowing what I know now, I could condense it and probably get it done in a couple months, but it, it took almost a year to make it all happen uh, to try and figure it out. The logistics of it, I probably wouldn't even consider it unless you had, first of all, like the, uh, the bare minimum, you have to invest a hundred thousand us into a US company. If you want to come down. So I did an E2 investor visa. So if you guys want to come down here and do like come out at leave Canada and come down here, you have to get a work visa or a green card, or you have to be a citizen or, or something like that. So unless your wife is American or you're born in the States or your parents or something, you know, and you, you have a golden ticket and you can come down here. Great. No big deal. If you don't have that and you're not from the U S and you're from another country and you want to move to the U S you have to do an investor visa. So, or you have to have a sponsored visa. There's a couple different visas that apply, but for most people that are in the industry that we're in, you're probably going to be looking at an investor visa. So you have an E2 or an EB5. EB-5, you invest a million, 50,000 into a U.S. company, you get a green card. You're good to go. Uh, E-2 is a minimum investment. There's They don't specify what it is, but any lawyer, immigration lawyer is going to tell you it's 100,000 U.S. minimum invested into a company. Uh, our investment was substantially more than that, you know, and, and that's like the bare minimum. So it really goes by what kind of business are you trying to start? And they look at it like, okay, do you have the capital? Do you have the equipment? Do you have all the stuff you need to start this business? Because the whole process is you're filing an application and a petition with the US government to say, uh, I want to come down here and start a business. And they want to see that you have everything you need to start the business because they don't want to let you in here to come down here and your business to fail. Mm -hmm. So you have to come down, you have to get an office, you need a shop, you need signage, you need marketing, you need a website, you need that you basically need to build a real and operating business before they're going to give you a visa. And you have to put all that money out, do all that legwork, and then send in an application and say, hey, is this good? You know, and if they say no, you just lost all that money. You know, it's gone. You're going back to Canada or wherever you came from. You know, so it, it is a gamble in a sense, but not really if you're, you know, going to come down and build a real business. Logistically, I wouldn't consider it unless you had about a quarter million dollars that you could play with to go and do it. So if you have equipment, you're trying to move down there, you got to go down and get lawyers, you know, set up a business. You have to have money to carry yourself for, you know, the six months it's going to take probably to get set up just to get the visa. And then you also have to start working, you know, to go from nothing to building a clientele up and generating revenue. So like, I probably wouldn't advise anybody considers it unless you got a probably a quarter million dollars 
sitting there ready to burn to jump into it with it. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, there's creative ways to do it. You know, if you're leaving your, where you're coming from, well, maybe you can sell your business, you know, maybe you can sell your customers, you know, what, whatever, like there's, there's always ways to do it, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, I probably wouldn't attempt it unless you had, you know, access to that kind of cash to really kind of come down and do it. Otherwise it's really going to be a struggle. Not to say it can't be done. It, anything can be done, but if you want to be able to, you know, do it and not be completely stressed and potentially shoot yourself in the foot, I probably wouldn't advise it unless you were at that point that you could, you know, at a minimum do that. And then, you know, from there, you got to be willing to go hundred percent all in and go back to eating crow and swallow your pride and, and go start all over again from scratch, you know, but you're not really starting from scratch. You know, you're starting with all the skills you have. So, you know, you got to put the work in. It took me, it took me about three months from the time that we started uh, marketing and like actively looking for work to the point that I was like back to what we were making in Edmonton. Now that's not necessarily going to hold true for everybody and in every market and in every city and every place, like, don't get me wrong. Like we had a couple like lucky breaks and some good, well, was it lucky? I don't know. Like I, I made a shit ton of phone calls and we, you know, there, there's always an element of luck involved in it. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, it took us three months from the time we started actively looking to work to be to the point where we were back to what we were making, you know, in Canada. So, you know, there's that. So realistically, the, the quickest you're probably going to do it nine months, you know, realistic timeline is probably nine to nine to 12 months. So you got to be able to carry yourself for about a year, you know, in order to do that. So it's not an easy thing to do financially by any stretch of the words. And then there's also the whole element of you're shutting down a business that's making money, you know, to start over again. That's a huge mind. I was going to, I won't curse on here, but the mind it's, it's, yeah, it's a mind. It's all right. All right. Devin, you already have 10 times. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't even notice it, but yeah, it, it's a massive, it's a huge mind fuck. Right. So like, and you have to be willing to to deal with that. So that's, that's a big part of it too. But to me, it's hundred percent worth it. You know, and then I came to a market that's 10 times the size of the one I left, you know, so the amount of work out there, the amount of customers out there, everything's at way larger scale. So you do your research and where you're going to go to, right? Like, probably don't move to the middle of absolute nowhere where there's no work. You know, if you're going to make a move, you want to be going somewhere that, you know, you know, it's viably economically possible to really build a business there and do it quickly. But yeah, there is a lot of logistics to it. And like I said, I, a, I probably wouldn't recommend it unless you had about a quarter million dollars sitting there that you could go and do that with, or you're going to keep your business operating in Canada, you know, or whatever country you're in and then come here and start another one, you know, and that's another option that you could look at as well. And that might make it work too. Right. But there's definitely in, in short, it's not easy, but it can be done. I did it. You know, I, I'm, I'm living proof of it, I guess. Right. I proved the concept. You can do it too if, if you want, but uh, yeah, that's it, man. I got two questions. Well, one question right off the bat. When you, from obviously starting to when you started up in Canada to starting in Texas, what were some like things that you remembered? Like, I remember doing this back up in Canada, but then also remembering like, I'm going to do it a different way. This didn't work last time. I'm going to try to apply it this time. Like, what were some of those key things that you remembered? For me, it was, uh, sales is always the biggest thing when you're starting a company, right? So when you start, you're, you're starting new sales is you live and die by sales. So for me, I had a lot of years of being able to refine my sales skills and, you know, being able to talk to customers and sell our product and stuff. But it really comes down to what are your core values? You know, what are your company core values? You know, and our core values is like my thing that I, it's on all our trucks, it's on our, all our equipment, it's on my business cards. And it's not just a tagline. It's not something I just thought up was great. It's doing the right thing, even when no one's looking and we live and die by that, man, I'll rip shit. If I show up to the job set, I did it today. I got up to Sherman and I get there. The guys had just left for the day, wrapped up. They finished this set of duck bank and I get there and I get looking at it and uh, I called my foreman over. I'm like, Hey man, like tomorrow you guys got to come up here and, and redo this. What really? Like they were ready for inspection. Like this was done. They were going to turn it over to the client. And I look at it. I'm like, no, you guys got to pull this out and do it again. And I'm like, I don't like this. This is loose, you know, and I'm nitpicking shit, you know, and honestly, like it probably would have passed inspection hundred percent. It probably would have passed inspection, but I get there and I look at it and I'm like, to me, it's not to my standard. Mm 
you know, there's a bit of garbage in the ditch. You know, some of the tie wraps are a bit loose. Some of the rebar is loose, you know, and, and I know in my head, based on the level of quality that everybody else is doing on that site, that probably would have passed inspection. Yeah. And I told my, my foreman tomorrow, you're coming up here with two guys and you're going to fix this, you know, rip this out, redo this, put this this way. That's going to cost me money. You know, tomorrow I'm going to send three guys up there and they're going to spend half a day on the site on my dime redoing work they've already done. That probably would have passed. It would have been acceptable to the client, but it's not acceptable to me, you know, because I look at it and I'm like, this is not the quality that I want to put out there. And I don't care who you are and what business you're in. You should have that outlook. You should have that, you know, this, this, that's how you should think about your product and your service is it needs to be the best possible quality product. And you have to be willing to show up to a site and see that. And if you failed as a, as a leader and as a business owner to communicate that to your guys effectively so that they know that that's the, that's the standard, you got to be willing to eat that financially to have them redo it, you know, and, and that might take two or three or four or five times of doing that to get your guys to the point that like, shit, Devin's going to make us redo this again. And they don't want to do it again because it's hot and shitty out. So they're going to do it right the first time, you know, but that's one thing that I'm like, I I'll live and die on that, you know, and it honestly, in the beginning, it took me probably six to nine months when I started in Canada to get my guys to the point that they got the picture that if it ain't perfect, we're ripping it out and doing it again. And I mean, I did that. I don't know how many, to the point I'd get to a site and the guys would be like, all right, what's wrong, you know, whatever. And I'm like, no, we got to, come on, man. Like no one's going to know. I know it's there. Do it again, yeah. you know, pull it out, do it again. And that cost me thousands of dollars, like thousands of dollars. <laughs> but I built that culture with the guys in Canada that this is the standard we're going to set. And that built us a reputation that built us a company and then come down here and you hire all new people. And then you're starting that all over again. You're building that culture. You're teaching those guys, you know, that is something that's hard. Uh, Monday morning, Saturday, I drove up to site to go pick up a, an excavator and I get to site the guys left site. At, uh, they left that site at five 30 on a Thursday. I told them when they left, make sure all the equipment's parked here. Everything's clean, ready to go. Uh, so we can move shit out of here. And I go Saturday by myself to go pick up a hoe and I get there. Tracks have mud in them. There's garbage in some of the machines, you know, like one of the machines is so low. I started the hoe up and the friggin' fuel light is flashing red, like on the line. I called my foreman. I'm like, and I Saturday, I'm like, I'm not calling to ruin your day, man. I'm just calling to let you know that this is this, this, this needs to be corrected. Monday morning, everyone's coming to the office and I'm going to rip everybody a new asshole so that they understand, you know, what this is. Yep. Monday morning, everyone showed up here to the, sh the shop and I ripped everybody a new asshole. I shouldn't say ripped everybody a new asshole, but I had a really strongly worded conversation with pictures and like, this is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. I don't give a shit if that's acceptable for everybody else. It's not acceptable for me and it needs to be better, you know? And I explain why, not just fix it. Yep. If, you know, and I explain the reason why. I'm like, when I pull up to a job site and I see someone else's equipment that looks like shit, I think to myself, man, those guys don't give a shit. And then I also think, well, if they're going to leave their equipment that way, what's their work going to look like? And right. I was like, maybe not every client sees that and thinks that way, but one client might, and we might never work for that client because of that. Mm -hmm. That's a huge deal. How much money does that translation translate to, you know? And when you make people understand that and they can break it down in simple terms and, you know, make that connection between giving a shit and making money, to your guys, they start to get it and you have to enforce it and harp on it over and over and over again. And to be honest, doing that all over again is probably the hardest part of starting over because if you're not bringing all your guys with you, you're building your culture again. That's hard. No, fantastic points there. Cause I mean, yeah, like you said, shitty or not shitty equipment, but shittily placed, shittily, you know, taking care of equipment. People are going to look at it and be like, this is probably what the work looks like. There's, there's no way I'm going to hire them to do my shit. If there's garbage all over, everything is empty. There's mud in the tracks. They're parked in random areas. They're parked in areas that they shouldn't be. In. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Great. You know, great. we, we, we've all seen the guy that pulls onto site with a clapped out old truck and he's got garbage piled all over his dash and there's dents all over the place and it Mountain hasn't Dew. been washed in two oh, yeah. years. And you instantly think what a friggin' loser. And you automatically go to 
the quality of work that that guy is going to do is so low, it's not even funny. That's the first thing that you think of. And we all, we all see it. We all think that. But sometimes we're not very good at criticizing ourselves, you know, like mm -hmm. you jump in your truck. Well, what's your truck look like inside, you know, and then those are things and like it's all the little stuff, but you have to pay attention to those little details because that all matters. It all plays into the big picture. And at the end of the day, it's like how you do one thing is how you do everything, you know, and we all myself included can do better, you know, and that's the thing is if you constantly strive to keep pushing that bar further and further and further, you're going to build a culture that is constantly going to do that. You know, everyone's going to start thinking that way and start moving that way. But in the beginning, it takes a lot of time and it's going to cost money, you know, because guys are going to do things that aren't great. And it's easy to say, ah, screw it, bury it. You know, it's, it's good enough. It's hard to say, you guys are coming back here tomorrow and redoing this. And then you're paying money to have them do that, to learn that lesson. Right. You know, so you, you got to be willing to do that. Exactly. Well, and just you as a leader, being at the forefront and basically like I am, this is costing me double now to fix. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. this mistake, right. You guys have to come back. This was not bid into the project. I'm losing money on this project to teach you guys this lesson to do it. Right. Right. That speaks volumes just on the leadership side. And it's one of those things, you know, and that it's, you, you can, you can do it on a small scale. And to me, it always comes back to like garbage in the equipment, washing equipment, keeping trucks clean, you know, what are your guys wearing on a job site? You know, do you, do you buy them good shit? You know, all my guys have shirts. They all have vests. You know, all our shit is logoed. All our stuff is deckled. I bought every one of my guys a lift hard hat. They're freaking 150 bucks a pop. I didn't they're buy them because they're comfortable as hell. Mm -hmm. I didn't just buy them because they look cool. I could have went to Home Depot and bought, you know, the $16 white cheap plastic hard hat, slapped a sticker on it, and everybody would look oh, the same. And it, it's the same effect from a visual perspective. I did that because I'm like, shit, these guys got to wear these every day and I'm going to make them wear them. So I'm going to buy the most comfortable hair that, that you can get, you know, and, and as an owner, you have to be conscious of that stuff. You know, you can't forget that you were a worker and you know how much it sucked to do that stuff too. But from a business perspective and a marketing perspective, when you quantify, you know, that cost of the $150 hard hats and the vests that are all, you know, embroidered and the shirts that all look the same and are all embroidered, you know, that's a big dollar cost that you're putting out where is your return on that well one the guys like wearing the shit because it's good stuff mm -hmm. so they wear it to site so that makes you show up to site and it just looks professional because everyone of your guys are wearing the same thing you know and you show up to the job site everyone looks the same everyone's clean prim proper you know equipment same thing you, you got a excavator sitting on a job site if you don't have your company name on it and phone number you're an idiot Mm -hmm. You know, you have a billboard sitting on a job site yep. advertising for you and it doesn't have a phone number and a logo on it. Like you go down the highway and buy one of those billboards for the month. What, how many thousands of dollars does that cost? And you're paying for the machine anyways. So right, spend the, spend the three, four grand to, you know, slap your logo on it and put your phone number on it. But flip side of that, you better make damn well sure that the machine looks good and it's clean and it doesn't look like a crap clapped out piece of shit sitting there, you know, and I'm not saying go out and buy all new equipment for that reason. You know, shit, you can go buy an old piece of gear and go buy $150 worth of paint and bring it in the shop on a Saturday, sand it down and hit her with rattle can paint. And it's going to look decent, you know, and slap some logos on it. It doesn't have to be new shit, but at the very minimum, make sure your logos are on it. Make sure it's clean. You know, when you pull a piece of gear on a new job site, take it back to the shop and wash it. You know, yeah, yeah. it's, it, those are all things that, that add to the marketing side of your business that you're, you can do for little cost, you know, versus buying billboards and radio ads and all these other things that are, are spending money. If you're not doing the little things right, you can spend all the money in the world you want on marketing. It's not going to do a damn thing for you. Exactly. Yeah. And I a hundred percent agree. It's like that sort of non-digital marketing is like step one. I mean, you have to have that consistent branding and like, why not? Your trucks are at the job site all the time. Your equipment's at the job site all the time, you know, get it deckled up, you know, toss some paint on it. I mean, it's, it's like, why not? It's a moving billboard. It's on site all the time. <clears throat> you start building that trust with people that are driving by seeing your shit all the time. And then and then they do see you online. They do see what you're doing in the community and they are actively building that trust. And Devin, like you said too, I mean, 
it, it, it all kind of completes this whole loop of like, you know, you're not just doing one thing. You're not just doing Instagram stories to get all of your work. Like it, it's a whole uh, omnipresence marketing plan of like, we're going to have our equipment looking good. We're going to have everything cleaned, consistent, um, you know, logoed up. And also like, we're going to over deliver for our clients. We're going to have a clean website. We're going to clean up after our job sites, over deliver and just continue to like go above and beyond. And that way you're building that company and not just like Joe blow across the street. That's going to crank out a project for you for an hourly rate. You know, I feel like you're, you're building a sustainable company instead of just, you know, cranking out projects on the side. Yeah. And at the same time, it's like, you know, when you're starting out, it's hard to, you know, when you're starting a business, cash flow is always the problem. You know, money's always tight. When you get going, you, you got to pick and choose, you know, am I buying the piece of equipment or am I, you know, deckling equipment or buying a bunch of hats? You know, you, you got to try to balance all that stuff. You know, when I started out, I'd buy like 10 hats at a time, you know, and I'd buy like maybe 10 hats every three months. And it was like, that's all I could afford, you know, at the time, you know, and that's just what it was. And you, you got to start, right? But you, you can't necessarily, you, you might not necessarily be able to do everything at once, you know, in the beginning, I, the first thing I did was I got my truck deckled. I remember going out and getting my business cards the first time. So I don't know if you can see that. These are my business cards. They're 30 point black soft touch. It's like a velvet card and they're foil stamped on the back and on the front. This card's a dollar 36 per business card. Damn. It's, they're not cheap. You know, but when, when I went into the card shop, the print shop, I went in there and the first time I go in there, they give like the samples and stuff like that. And I'm going through the thing and I find this card. And I'm like, man, that's cool. It's the thickest card in there. It's super soft. It feels cool. It looks awesome. I'm like, I want that card. And the girl's like, no one's ever ordered that before. Why not? She's like, well, it's stupid expensive. I'm like, well, how much is it? What's it like a dollar 30 a card? What are you getting? 10,000 business cards. I ordered 250 business cards, you know, it lasts you like a year. So what did I spend? 600 bucks. Okay. Well, 600 bucks is a lot of money. I could have went to Vista print and got it for 10 bucks and had them shipped to my door, but they would have been the same business card as every other person. Every time I give someone a card, the first thing I hear is, wow, that's a nice card. What do you do with a business card? You throw it in your cup holder or your center console, or you stick it in your visor. When you're sitting around there and you look up and you see a thick business card that stands out, it pops out. It's not just a white card like everybody else's stuff. But to me, this is the first impression that I'm giving to a customer. The reason I went with these cards is my logo is black. So I wanted a black card. How they make black business cards is they take white paper and they print black ink on it. And then they put your logo on it. But the problem with those cards is that the edges are white. And when they sit somewhere, they fray and it looks like shit. Mm. And me being the anal person that I am, didn't want that. So I absolutely want it black cardstock. And that's why it's so friggin' expensive. But something as stupid and as simple as that business card and that little detail. And the lady at the card shop was like, thought I was retarded. And, you know, whatever. I give that card out to somebody and they instantly, like, wow, that's a nice business card. What do they notice? The touch, it's soft, it looks good, it's clean, it's prim and it's proper. That's the first impression that they get from my business that business card. If I gave them a post-it note with my name and number scribbled on it, what would their impression be? Probably throw you know? And that's exactly it. Right. So it's like the, when I say like, you have to be mindful of all the details, I mean it like every little detail counts, you know, and how much business did I get from this card? I don't know. I can't put a number at it, but I know I got one or two jobs out of it. And the reaction I get every single time I hand that out is, wow, that's a nice card. When my equipment rolls onto the job site, the first words out of every consultant or client's mouth, man, that's some nice equipment. It cost me 700 bucks to wrap a skid steer. whoop de doo But every time that machine rolls onto a job site, I get the same reaction. Wow, that's a nice piece of equipment because it's different. It stands out. Now, if I couldn't afford to wrap my machine, at the very minimum, I could make sure that I take that machine home, shovel the tracks out, and get a pail of water and some soap and wash it before I bring it to the job site. So it's clean, at least when it shows up, yeah. when I have a rental company and they drop off a piece of gear and it's friggin' filthy, I call them up, come get this fucking thing, take it back. I don't want it. Bring me a clean one. And is that anal? Is it stupid? 
maybe. But at the same time, if I'm going to set the standard here for this, I got to do it for everything. And you, you have to look yeah. at your own business this way. You have to keep pushing the standard up higher because if you let this slide, this slides and this slides, and next thing you know, you're the Joe Blow on Marketplace or Craigslist trying to, you know, run your skid steer for 50 bucks an hour, you know, to go grade a driveway. If you want to yeah. deliver an exceptional product and you want to charge more and you want to work for good clients, then you have to be able to deliver the good product and be, you know, that doesn't, you can't just give a good product and let everything else slide. It all has to go up together and it takes time. And it every day, you know, you harp on it. How many times do you walk past a piece of garbage in a parking lot and look at it and be like, nah, walk past it. I'll do it all the time. Walk past it, turn around, walk back, pick a piece of garbage and put it, put it in the garbage. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to hold yourself to that standard if you want your guys to hold themselves to that standard, yep. you know, and if you want to get that work and you want to be in that space and you want to command a higher price than everybody else, then you have to push everything up. But attention to detail is what it, what it all boils down to. And you got to push that across everything. It's all a big picture of branding and marketing and everything all plays together. You got to do all of them or none of them work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Luke, I think uh, I might steal that that title. I think I, it's been a while since I've I've nailed one of the titles, but pushing the standard or attention to detail. But I think pushing the standard with Devin Boudreaux, I think that's a, that's almost <laughs> a lock at this point. So I think you locked it up. But all right, we'll Devin, take it. I mean, obviously, just you know, Luke and I can't thank you enough for for all of this. I mean, it's it's incredible. I feel like we could talk for hours about. Um, everything from your experiences to your business acumen. And just like, like you said too, it, I'm learning more and more about you and we've been friends for a long time since the Denver airport. And <laughs> it, it's, it's so cool to hear how uh, attentive you are to detail and how uh, in how high of regards you hold your business, your brand, your equipment, your guys, everything. So um, I'm excited uh, to dive in even further, you know, we, Luke and I may have to sit down and talk about a good topic for a, a webinar of, you know, cause you have such an interesting yeah, marketing like mind that, as yeah. a contractor. Um, but yeah, it's, this has been, this has been insane. And Devin, we just can't thank you enough, man, for, uh, for being the dirtbag you are and just joining us, <laughs> joining us on the show. Taking your time and hopping on with us. We do really appreciate it. Yeah, man. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not a genius and there's nothing that I'm doing that anybody else can't do. It's, it literally just comes, it's little things. And it honestly, it's just, it starts with you. You got to hold yourself to that standard and just keep pushing it on everything, you know? And, and that being said too, you gotta, you can't be a dick to your guys and force your guys yeah. to do this stuff. Cause if you try to push it on people, it doesn't work. You know, you, you have to set the example and you have to be willing to do all this stuff yourself and you have to educate your guys, just like you educate your customers. You know, I don't show up to a job site and start yelling at the guys and say, you gotta clean this fucking piece of equipment. I take the time to have this conversation that I just had with you guys with my employees so that they understand how that translates to affecting them, you know, because at the end of the day, what's important to them? Well, they, they're, they're work, it's a job. They have to make money to support their family and to live. You teach them how it is that all this is going to make them more money and you tie that together. Now they're more willing to do that, right? You, you don't do it with an iron fist and, you know, you do this, you know, it, it doesn't usually work well for you because they're going to do it when you're there. They're not going to do it when you're gone, you know, and that's what it comes down to. But yeah, we could go on for this about this forever, but yep. Sensibility I, uh, and the leadership is huge. It is definitely hundred percent, but, uh, thanks for having me on guys. Appreciate we it. Appreciate it. Yeah. Good shit. And then anyone listening, uh, if you want to reach out to Devin, obviously go follow his Instagram, uh, Ruben group. Like we've been talking about this whole time. He is literally on there every single day, updating Instagram stories. Also the on grade podcast with our guy, Brandon from iron Eagle. Um, Devin, you're, we, we see you out there too. I mean, you're doing your own thing an in-person podcast, which is not easy. Um, the logistics to that is a whole lot different than on zoom. So, um, massive shout out to you for that. And just continuing to like push the industry forward and leading with education. Like we just, 
uh, I, I love working with you as a partner, but obviously like the friend you are and the leader you are, it's just so cool to see like the success just keep rolling for you. Yeah, man, definitely. I, I appreciate it. It's cool. I, I can't take any credit for on grade. That's that's 100% Brandon's baby. I just show up and uh, jump on the show with him like he does all the logistics of that. But uh, yeah, I mean, guys, not to pull away from you guys' podcast because you guys need to watch the dirtbags because at the end of the day, like Luke, you guys have you guys started this stuff and it's it's freaking awesome. And, and it's going to take a lot of people to educate everybody. But yeah, we me and Brandon try to dive into more of these topics and we kind of go a little more in depth and stuff, especially in like the starting out in business and that, cause we both started out, learned all these hard lessons and grew in a short period of time. So it was, it's definitely a good perspective in that sense, but I think everybody in the marketplace needs to do a better job of sharing information and putting it out there, you know? And that's why, that's why I love what you guys do. Cause this is, it's great. A lot of young guys and a lot of guys starting out and even guys that have been in business for years need to learn this stuff, you know, and you guys are putting a platform out there to do that. And it's awesome. Well, we appreciate that. But like you talked about earlier, there's no, there's no secrets in this industry. Everybody yeah. should bid the same. Obviously everybody's numbers are a little bit different, but at the end of the day, we all just push in the same dirt. So hundred percent. Amen. That's what it is. All right, boys. Well, we appreciate it. Go cool, guys. Thanks. Cheers.